Genesis chapter 14. If you would, let's go ahead and stand together. And we're going to read a little bit in two chapters. So I need you to pay close attention as we look down about verse 21. And we're going to pick up uh, at the tail end of, a, of an adventurous story where uh, some of the kings in the valley there where Sodom and Gomorrah are, some of the rival kings have clashed, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah have been raided, and Lot has been taken captive. It seems like Lot's always getting into trouble, amen? Uh, and lo and behold, you look down, the Bible says, and uh, verse number 13, Abraham hears about that, and that is his family, and so Abraham puts together an army of his his trained servants to go after them uh, and to rescue Lot, and they do that. And the Bible says, you go on to read, when they brought them back, uh, the kings that uh, they brought back all of their goods and all of the people, uh, verse 21, we're going to pick up at, where the king of Sodom has something to say to Abram, who's yet to become Abraham. The Bible says, and the king of Sodom, verse 21, said unto Abram, give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which went with me, honor Eshel and Mamre, let them take their portion. Now keep reading into chapter 15. Very interesting transition right here. The Bible says, after these things, it's important to notice there's a transition. The word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And we're going to stop there and pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you, Father, that you have something to say to all of us today. And Father, I pray our hearts are ready to hear it. Lord, I, I pray if there's anything at all that might keep us or hinder us from knowing your will in the message today, that, Lord, right now you'd make that evident to us what we need to set aside that we could hear from you. And Lord, I pray that that's our desire today. Lord, as I preach, I still want to hear from you, and I need to hear from you. And Father, I pray during the invitation time we'll respond uh, Lord, be obedient to your will. Oh, that Father, uh, we would all just submit even now to what you desire to do today, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I do want to remind you, don't forget tonight, after the service, we have our regular 5 o'clock service. And after the service tonight, we kick off our Christmas season out in the parking lot, have a big fellowship with the Coke truck and our food trucks will be here. Uh, come out and enjoy the fellowship. This is where we invite our community in uh, to get to know us a little bit. I just want to invite you to be here for that immediately after the 5 o'clock service tonight. Let's jump into this if we could. I was thinking right after Thanksgiving, I got sick right after Thanksgiving, so I didn't get to uh, spend a lot of time with our family uh, went home after lunch and uh, began thinking about the fellowship that we always enjoy during Thanksgiving. Uh, this year, my brother came in with his kids, and he's got six kids, and my sister came in with her kids, and uh, there's kids everywhere. And of course, mom and dad, my grandma and grandpa were there, and uh, then Kathy and Tyler and their, uh, and their daughter were there, and just had a wonderful time of fellowship. Uh, went home for a little while, spent some time with Miley, who was uh, incapacitated on the couch with a cold and didn't want to spread that around to kids. And so I uh, went home and spent some time with her. And then after that, I went back and spent some more time with our family. And I found myself doing something that I used to not like to do, and that was just sit down and do nothing but talk in fellowship. 
Now, I know that's probably hard for you to believe that I didn't always like talking, but uh, I used to would come to Thanksgiving, and I would have the meal and spend time with family, but Thanksgiving was a time for me to come and uh, have fellowship and, and have the lunch and then go hunting because I enjoy deer hunting, and the holidays were the best time to do that. Boy, eat lunch and run out the door, and you know why people would just sit there and stare at each other and talk was something that as a young man, as a teenager, I didn't find enjoyable. You know, We just want to sit there and look at each other and talk about things and reminisce about things that we've done. We were all there for it. Why do we want to talk about it again? You know, that's the way teenagers are. Sometimes we're young and dumb, right? Uh, we don't appreciate those things as well. But I, I was thinking to myself as I, I sat there in the living room the other day, and my brother, my grandfather, all of my there. We're just sitting there talking, and uh, I was giving my nieces and nephews piggyback rides, and the more they grow, the more painful those piggyback rides are uh, to give around the yard. And uh, just had a great time of fellowship and, and then went home that evening. Couldn't help but sit there and think to myself that uh, as we grow older, uh, we seek out more meaningful fulfillment in our lives, don't we? Uh, I, as a young person, I think we probably are, are guilty, although this is all bad, but we live from moment to moment as a young person, right? Uh, when we get to school, we can't wait to get out of school. Uh, and then we can't wait until summer comes, and then uh, we dread when school goes back, and we go to school, we can't wait to graduate, and we want to hop from moment to moment, and then we graduate, and there's college, we can't wait to get married, and then, uh, then we can't wait to have kids, and we live from moment to moment to moment, and uh, that's something that I find in our, in our immaturity sometimes we do, we just live for moments, but as we get older, we seek more meaning in our life, don't we? Uh, rather than just saying, hey, I can't wait to get married, and the next thing, I can't wait to have kids, and then I can't wait to have a career, and I guess you just can't wait to die is the next thing on the calendar after that, right? Uh, you're not going to retire in this economy, all right? You're going to work, and then you're going to die. That's how it's going to work, okay? So that's the next moment you live for, but as we get older, and maybe even we could even use the word maturity as we mature a little bit, we start looking for more meaning in our life. We don't want to just hop from moment to moment. We want to find meaning in the moments of where we're at. We don't just want to get married and say, whoo, there we are. I got married. I can check that box. We want to have a meaningful marriage, don't we? Uh, we don't want to just be a husband or be a wife. We want to be a godly husband and a godly wife. We want to be the husband and the wife that God would have us to be. We want to live a life of meaning. We don't want to just have kids to be one of those boxes we check. Okay, I, I checked the box. I have kids now and I'm a parent. No, we want to be a good parent. I told my Sunday school class this morning that the older I get and the older my daughter gets, knowing she'll graduate here before too long and go out into the world, I try to think, what do I want to make sure that my kid has when she leaves my home? I hope she can protect herself throat punch any of these guys that come along and try to date her, okay? I hope she can do that, and I hope she can drive well, and I hope she knows how to cook, and her mom teaches her that, but do you know what I, you know what I really want for my daughter more than anything? And I told my class this today. I want her just to learn how to be faithful. I just want her to learn how to be faithful. What is that? That's, that's meaning. I want her to have more meaning in her life, not just to hop from moment to moment and live from high point to high point. If you're not careful, you'll fall into that trap. That's the way the world operates. We live from high to high to high. We have a high, we go seek another high. We have this high, we go seek another one. And yet God doesn't want us to just live for the moments. God wants us to live to have meaning in our life. I remember as a younger preacher, not an old preacher, but I remember as a younger preacher, I was so nervous when I would preach that I just wanted to get it over with. 
You know, I wanted to get up there, and I, I, I didn't want to say anything stupid, all right? I had heard a preacher talk about the horror stories of things that I did, by the way. Uh, I said a lot of things stupid, and I, and I probably still, every once in a while, will say something stupid. But I was so nervous, I just wanted to get done, okay? I wanted to get up, say what I had to say, and get out. And I preached really fast. Now, I know there's part of you that wishes I had not matured past that. To just get up, speak up, shut up, and sit down, all right? But... I have matured past that. Now, I don't want to just get done with the message. I, I want to do right by the message. I don't want to just get up and preach three points and say, okay, it made sense and go home. No, we want to do the will of God in the message. You want to have meaning behind what you do, amen? No matter what you do, you ought to want to do it heartily as to the Lord and have some meaning in that. Now, I believe that goes along with our relationship with God this morning. I believe wholeheartedly if you're saved, you, you've had that moment, that high moment of your life. Look, the high moment of your life is when you come to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. That's the high moment of your life. Nothing will eclipse that in your life in getting saved. But I'm afraid that after we have that moment, a lot of us never move on to have a meaningful relationship with our Heavenly Father. All right, we're kind of like I was at Thanksgiving as a young man. We come in, we eat lunch. Hey, let's take the family picture. I'm out the door. I'm going deer hunting. We don't seek out that meaningful relationship with our father that we should. Now, Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2, the Bible says, Behold, God is my salvation. Now, I'm thankful for that today, that I can say without a shadow of a doubt that I know for sure my name's written down in heaven, and God is the God of my salvation. Can I tell you something today? He's more than just the God of your salvation. God wants to be so much more. God wants to have a meaningful relationship with you, and you have a meaningful walk with you. Listen to me. If God is really God, can I tell you something? If God is really God, he's not just God of your salvation. He's God of everything. You know, that's, that's all part of being God. <laughs> If you're God, you're God of everything. You're capital G. You are over everything. You're not lowercase g, just a little God of something. And if God is God, he's not only the God of our salvation. Hear me out this morning. He's the God of our entire situation. Amen? Here's the problem. Here's the problem. We never grow in a meaningful relationship with God where we move past the place where he's not just the God of our salvation. He's the God of our entire situation. I promise you, when God becomes God of your entire situation, it will change everything. Now, listen to me this morning. We're going to look at Abraham for a few minutes. Abraham is about to find out that not only can he trust God for his salvation, that he's able to trust God for any and every situation he's going to face in his relationship with him from there on out. This morning, I want to preach a message, a very simple thought. The message is this, trusting God to be God. Trusting God to be God. Now listen to me, I, I know we've trusted God to be the God of our salvation. We cling to that, look, nobody could beat it out of you. If I came up to you this morning and you're saved and you've trusted Christ and you know for sure, I could not convince you otherwise. You say, no, you're changing my mind. There is no way. I have trusted him. He is the God of my salvation. And boy, we've got that nailed down. Thank God for that. Aren't you glad that you may know that you have eternal life? I'm thankful for that. But can I tell you, 
You can trust God just as much to be the God of your situation as he is God of your salvation. And whether you realize it or not, he already is. If he's God, he's God over all of that. Here's the problem. We've trusted him to be God of our salvation. But we've not got to the place yet where we're willing to turn over everything and trust him to be God of our situation. This morning, do you know what we need to do? It's the lesson Abraham's about to learn. We just need to learn to trust God to be God. God, I'm going to trust you to be God over it all. God, I, I trusted you, and I have nailed that down, and I am sure that I'm saved, and heaven's my home. By the way, if you have it, you can before you leave. It's a free gift. But wait a minute. Just as you've nailed that down, you, Christian, can nail down today that God is the God of your situation. And there's no need to fear, doubt, or worry like we do because God is God of all. Let's see how God, or how Abraham was able to trust God to be God. Now, real quickly, <coughs> excuse me, the backstory here. We know Lot's been taken captive. Abraham goes to rescue him. Abraham's always to the rescue. Thank God for Abraham's in our life. Amen. All of us will be Lot. Hey, don't be so pompous this morning to think you're never going to be a lot that drifts away from God and gets itself caught up in something that doesn't get caught up in and needs somebody to come rescue you. Thank God for the Abrahams, amen, uh, that come and help reel us back in to get where we need to go. So he reels him back in. So all of a sudden in verse number 21, the king of Sodom said unto Abram, give me the persons and take the goods for thyself. He says, hey, look, thank you for what you did. Here's the reward. Take all of these goods for yourself. And evidently, it was quite the spoils that Abraham was being offered. But watch verse 22. you got to see this. And Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread, even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine. Here's what Abraham is saying. Abraham says, look, 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 no thank you, appreciate that, you keep all of that, I don't want anything you have to offer me, because then you could say, I made you rich. He says, hey, king of Sodom, I want you to know, I have put my trust in the Lord, I have made a vow in the Lord, I am committed to God, I am trusting in God, God's going to be the one that takes care of me, not you. Now, why is that important? Well, watch, Abraham shows his commitment to God right there. But then something amazing happens in verse 1 of chapter 15. This is one of those things you stump your toe on when you're reading your Bible. The Bible says, after these things, I found that interesting. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, watch, fear not. Fear not. I found that odd. That all of a sudden in verse 20, 21, 22, Abraham is like, no sir, I have trusted in God. I don't need anything you got. I'm looking to God. You're not going to make me rich. God has promised to provide for me. I'm like, woohoo, amen, Abraham, go ahead. And then in verse 1, God says, fear not. Fear not. You know what that tells me this morning? I believe at some point between verse 21, 22 and verse number 1 of chapter number 15, at some point there was a question entered into the heart of Abraham. That at some point there was a doubt that may have entered into the heart of Abraham. Now remember, we're only a couple of chapters in to Abraham's relationship with God. This trusting God thing is still new for Abraham. And Abraham says, no king of Sodom, I don't want anything you've got. I'm going to trust God. But then God says, fear not. Do you know what God was reminding Abraham? He says, Abraham, you've trusted me and you said no to Sodom. And you're trusting me to be everything that you need. God says, Abraham, I want you to know this, number one. I'm going to be the reassurance of your trust. 
I'm going to be the reassurance of your trust. Can I tell you, when you choose to trust God to be God, you will find out that God is the reassurance to your trust. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, a lot of times you and I are like Abraham. We get to the place where we say, you know what? I'm going to trust God. I'm going to live for God. And God's going to take care of everything. Sometimes we talk a really good game, don't we? Look, I'm a preacher. I know how to do it. I know how to put on a happy face. I know how to act like nothing's wrong. I know how to act like there's no worries or doubt. I know how to do it. I even know how to say the right things that, that make you think like I, I feel like everything's okay. And yet on the inside of our heart, there are times where we do doubt, we do worry, and we do fear. And then the sweet Holy Spirit of God whispers those two wonderful words that we need not ever forget. Fear not. Fear not. Do you know what he's saying? Watch, if I am the God of your salvation, if you have trusted in me, I'm not only the God of your salvation, I'm the God of your situation. Hey, I want to reassure your trust is not misplaced as long as you're trusting in me. I love the fact that he said fear not. Do you know what fear not means when God says it? Trust me. Trust me. I, I was looking through every time in Scripture last night that you find those words mentioned, fear not. And just about every time you read the words, fear not, coming out of the mouth of God, it's God saying, trust me, trust me. Oh, God has a stethoscope. I was at the doctor the other day, and she puts that thing on my chest, tells me to take a deep breath. And I took a deep breath, and she listened in there, and she says, yeah, something's wrong. I said, yeah, there's a lot wrong, you know. And I said, I just need to know what's wrong right now. And, and so she got me some medicine for that. She's listening to what's on the inside. But you know, God has a spiritual stethoscope, if you will, where God can listen into our heart. We listen to it, thum, 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 thum. but God can hear doubt, and God can hear worry, and God can hear fear. And God, look, here's Abraham. Abraham says, no, I'm not going to take anything from you. I'm trusting in God. And yet, why would God say fear not? Because evidently, there was a little bit of a question mark. In the heart of Abraham, hey, this is a new relationship, and I'm trusting him, and I've trusted him as the God of my salvation. But, oh, my soul, I mean, this army could overtake me. Or, hey, they're offering me something wonderful. Am I sure about this? Oh, the devil loves to make us question, doesn't he? The devil loves to make us doubt. The devil loves to make us fear. What does God want us to know? He says, well, if you'll just trust me to be God, I'll give you the reassurance of your trust. Your trust is not misplaced. I think about Joshua. I love Joshua. love reading behind Joshua. Joshua followed Moses. And boy, what big shoes that Joshua had to fill. And Joshua's getting ready to go to the battle. And the Lord tells Joshua, fear not. Fear not, Joshua. I, I, look, when God says fear not, he's already telling us that we're fearing. All right, all right, God's telling us, hey, I already can tell you're worried. Here's Joshua trying to lead these people in the battle. He's like, I can't even lead these people on a good day. Lord, I can't lead these people on flat ground, and you want me to lead them uphill? I don't think this is going to happen. Joshua, fear not. What did he say? Trust me. Joshua, just trust me. He says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. What did he say? I'm not just the God of your salvation. I am the God of your situation. Trust me, I'll be the reassurance for your trust. Folks, our trust is not misplaced. So often in our life, we get to the, re get to the place where we start worrying about things. Oh, look, worry is natural. That's our problem. We're too human, aren't we? 
We worry, we doubt, we fear. No, I'm not being mean to you today. I'm going to preach to myself. And if this applies to you, then you can just take it home with you too, okay? But I want to preach to myself for a second. I've come to realize most of the time I worry, I'm worrying because I'm trying to play God. Now let that settle in a little bit. Most of the time I'm worrying, I'm doubtful, and I'm fearful. It's because there's a problem, a need, a deficit, a void that I cannot fill. And I'm working to fill that void. And I'm trying to play God. And that's why we worry. At some point, we come to the end of ourself. And we worry about what is beyond ourself. When truly what God would have us to do is just let him be God. Trust God to be God. I mean, sometimes, I, I know there was a movie years ago, I never saw it, but it was entitled, God's Not Dead. You know, a lot of times the reason we're worrying, we're doubting, and we're fearful, we're acting like God died. Listen, the tomb is still empty. God is still on the throne. He hasn't gone anywhere. There's nothing you or I are going to face today or are facing right now that God is not already the God over. He says, fear not. Joshua, fear not. You're going to go into battle. You're going to face an army. Fear not. What did he say? Trust me. Just trust me. I think about when the angel came and spoke to Joseph. What does the Bible say? Joseph pondered those things in his heart. We're preaching on the, the birth of Christ soon, and I was reading it the other day, and I think about Joseph, and I think to myself, yeah, that would have been me too. The Bible says he pondered those things in his heart. Yeah, I'd be pondering too. Could you, could you just play that back a little slower? I'd still be pondering it today. You know what the Bible says the Lord said to him when he gave him that news? That he didn't understand? Fear not. He said, fear not, Joseph. Fear not. Do you know there's going to be times in our life where the Lord says to do something or you go through something that you don't understand, and the Lord's going to say, fear not. Also, what he's saying is, just trust me. You don't understand what you're going through. You don't understand what I'm leading in. You don't understand what I'm doing. Now, you and I have the benefit of knowing the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. We know what God was doing in the life of Joseph. We know what God was doing in the, the birth of Jesus. I mean, the most wonderful miracle that ever took place. We knew what God was doing. We knew how God was working. We're like, Joseph, what would we tell Joseph? What would you tell Joseph? Joseph, just trust me. Joseph, just trust me. Joseph, you're going to be a part of something wonderful. Now, can I tell you, that's what God wants us to hear today. Just trust him. Just trust him. Why? Number one, you get to the place where you trust God to be God. You realize he's the reassurance of our trust. I think about those Hebrew boys down in that fiery furnace. The king said to them, the king says, you know what? If you'll just fall down and worship me. He says, everything will be all right. Or worship the image. Everything will be all right. And I'll let you go. Now, do you know what the king was giving them? He was giving them his reassurance. Hey, it'll be all right if you just do what I say. But what did they say? Oh, king, we're not careful to answer thee. Because our God is able to deliver us. They said the reassurance of God is far greater and more valuable than the reassurance of the king. You see, if you just let God be God, you could go through some fire. You could. If you just let God be God, you could go through the lion's den. If you just let God be God, you could go through the battle like Joseph or like Joshua. 
If you just let God be God and trusted him for that, you could just trust the things you don't understand like Joseph. Luke chapter 5 when Peter was found out to be uh, not what he thought he was. Jesus says, cast the net on the other side. And Peter says, we've fished all night. We've toiled all the night. We've caught nothing. And suddenly, he says, nevertheless, at thy word, not my word, will, but thine be done. He throws the net over and they catch all these fish. Jesus is standing there. Peter comes and falls at his feet. You know what Jesus told him? He said, fear not. From henceforth thou shalt catch men. Even, watch this, an epic failure. Look, there's one thing to fail, but it's really bad to fail in front of Jesus. <laughs> right? He failed right in front of Jesus. Jesus told him what to do, and he says, no, I don't think I can do it. And then all of a sudden he realized, boy, was I wrong. By the way, when you go against what God says, you're always going to be wrong. Always. And yet in the midst of his failure, what did he say? He said, fear not. Fear not. Number one, can I tell you this morning, you ought to trust God to be God. Why? Because he's the reassurance of our trust. Paul put it this way, 2 Timothy 1.12. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Paul says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able. Paul says, I'm even willing to suffer. I suffer these things. I'm going to go through these things. Paul says, my situation is not good. Here's the problem. We only trust God when the situation is good. When the situation gets bad, we abandon ship. We leave God behind. And yet Paul says, I'm suffering these things. I'm suffering in my situation. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believe. Notice he didn't say what I believed. He said whom I have believed. God was his God. And he trusted God to be God. Hey, you ought to get to the place in your walk with God and your relationship with him where you trust God to be God, even the bad situations, even when you're suffering. You ought to be willing to do that. Why? Because God is already God over it anyway. He's just waiting for you to trust him. <clears throat> many, many years ago when I was in elementary school, we had this thing in, in our gymnasium. I went to Bassfield Elementary and I forget what it was called. It was some type of, uh, it was something from another country. We took these pieces of bamboo and uh, they had this game we played where you move the bamboo back and forth and you hopscotch in between. It was, it was something from another country. We were studying cultures. And uh, so we did this bamboo game, okay? Long story short, bamboo game. Just remember that. Uh, I remember that the teacher says we need some more sets of these, but we don't have any bamboo. Well, I knew in my backyard we had bamboo. We had a lot of bamboo in my backyard. And so I said, hey, I'll bring some. Really quick to volunteer. Well, I forgot that I volunteered. And the day of the needing of the bamboo came, and uh, Miss Johnson came, and she says, uh, she called me Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah, um, did you bring the bamboo? And I said, uh, ma'am, she says, you volunteered to bring the bamboo, and we need it today, and all that. I said, yes, ma'am, it'll be here. Oh, all right. When you make a mistake, the best thing you do is not make another one by reinforcing it with another mistake. And I did that, because I didn't have the bamboo. I mean, what are you going to do, bring it on the school bus, you know, get on the bus with these long sticks on there, and so... My only hope was my mom. My dad was working out of state at the time in Atlanta, and mom was the only person home. And, and so I went to the school office and called mom. I said, Mom, I need some bamboo. You know, not the weirdest call she's ever gotten from me from school before, but probably ranked up there somewhere. 
Mom, I, I need some bamboo. She says, what for, son? I said, well, I volunteered to bring this, and now I'm volunteering you to bring it, okay? And uh, she says, don't worry, son. I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. And I'm like, all right. So, you know, Jim's rolling around right after lunch. Miss Johnson comes. Jeremiah, do you have it? No, I don't have it yet, but it'll be here. I'm sure it'll be here. I know it'll be here. And, and then my friends came up and says, look, uh, you know, you better have that. You're going to be in trouble. I said, look, my mom is not going to let me down. A few minutes later, here she comes. I forget what was the station wagon or a Hyundai we had at the time. And pulls up, sticking out the window is this bamboo. She even put electrical tape on the end of it so the burrs would not give us splinters in our hand. She went out there to the bamboo patch in our backyard with a hacksaw and cut it down, delimbed it and everything. You see, I got on the phone and I called someone I knew I could count on. I knew they wouldn't let me down. And she never let me down. I volunteered for the class Christmas tree that same year, too, and forgot to get it. And uh, she just runs out in the woods and whacks one down and brings it to the, that's my mom. She's going to take care of it. Amen? Isn't it good to have people you can count on? Isn't it good to know they're going to come through? Isn't it good to know that there's no situation that you're going to get into, that they weren't going to come through? Yeah, man, wouldn't it be nice if you knew somebody like that? Oh, if you're saved, you do. You just don't realize it. That's who God is. You just got to trust God to be God. Hey, quit worrying, quit doubting, quit fearing. Trust God to be God. God's bigger than anything you're worrying about right now. The problem is you've trusted him to be God of your salvation. You've not trusted him to be God of your situation yet. Number one, he's the reassurance for our trust. That's why he said fear not, but let's keep reading. <clears throat> I do apologize for my voice this morning. If that gets obnoxious, just pray the Holy Spirit will help you hear it differently, okay? Uh, verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, Fear not, Abram. Watch this. I am thy shield. God says, look, not only, not only am I going to be the reassurance that you need, but watch. He says, I'm, I'm going to be your shield. Now, we know what a shield is, right? A shield, it, look, it's not a decorative piece of furniture. It's used in warfare. That's what shields are used for. Now, here's what God is kind of telling him. He's telling him there will be some adversity along the way. But God says, don't worry, watch this. I am thy shield. Not only did God remind Abraham that he could trust him, number two, he could trust him to be the refuge for his trial. He says, I am thy shield. Now, what I want you to notice is God did not tell him he wouldn't need a shield. But he says, I will be your shield. Can I give you this real quick? Battles should be expected from every believer. Battles should be expected from every believer. You're going to go through it. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, number one, he gives us armor. The Bible says we have the whole armor of God. And then number two, he tells us right here that God says, I will be thy shield. Now, here's what I'll focus on for a few minutes this morning. I think we have some misconceptions of shields. I know I have in times uh, we think about a shield, we think about uh, maybe Captain America, right? Uh, got our shield and we got a you know, Roman soldier and he's in battle and he has a shield. A lot of times what we think of as a shield is what the Bible calls a buckler, okay? Uh, a buckler in the Bible was the smaller one that you'd hold with your hand and you'd fight with one hand while you held the shield with the other, okay? That was really called a buckler. In the Bible, a shield was something much larger. A shield was about four feet tall and two and a half feet wide. All right, so get a picture of that. That's why sometimes you'd have that man carrying the armor before you. He would carry that for you. So four feet tall, all right? Four feet tall, two and a half feet wide. 
all right, the shield was when there were coming in arrows and spears that were being thrown. The person who was in battle that had the shield, he would take that shield and he would kneel down behind it. And now that shield, watch this, has him entirely covered, all right? Four feet tall, two and a half feet wide, all right? And so now that person is trusting entirely in that shield to take care of him. You know what the shield is? It's a refuge. He sought refuge there. Now watch what God is saying to Abraham. He says, Abraham, I am thy shield. He says, trust me to be your refuge. Folks, listen, if you have trusted him for your salvation and he is the God of your salvation, trust him to be the God of your situation and seek refuge in him. Here's our problem. Watch this. It's uncanny. We get in a spiritual battle. What is the first thing and who is the first person we usually abandon? It's God. He is our shield. I wish I had one, all right? Four foot tall, two and a half feet wide. He is our shield. And all of a sudden, man, the, the, the battle gets hard. Can you imagine being behind the shield when all those arrows are hitting it? It would be unnerving, right? I mean, anxiety through the roof. You're just sitting there, and all of a sudden you're like, I just, oh, I can't take this anymore. And you break and run. That's when you die. That's when you die. I don't know how many times I've seen it. People have marital trouble, they get out of church. Trouble with their kids, they get out of church. Do you not realize that when you forsake the Lord, you're forsaking your shield? You're forsaking your shield. Can I tell you, I've been in some fierce battles in my life. And boy, the, you know, you're like that squirrel on the side of the road. He's just standing there. And if he just stood there, he'd be fine. But all of a sudden, two feet before you get to him, he runs out. You're like, why did you do that? And you feel bad, but it's his fault. He ran out. Man, we get in that fight. Man, the, 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 the fiery darts are hitting. Ding, 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 ding. And the spears are coming in. And man, we just can't take it. And say, I'm done. And we take off running. Now we're dead. Now we're dead. Why? We have forsaken our shield. Here's what God is saying. Now, I don't know if Abraham was looking at the army saying, hey, I don't want what you've got, thinking, you know what? They could overtake me. I don't know if that's what he was fearful about. God says, Abraham, I want you to know I am your shield. What is he saying? I am your refuge. Psalms 119, 114. The Bible says, thou art my hiding place and my shield. Sometimes, can I tell you? It is all right to run and hide. Right? I know we are Americans, and I'm an American man. Amen? That means I am double full of pride, all right? I think I can do anything and charge hell with a squirt pistol at times. But there are times, can I tell you, you just need to hunker down behind the shield. Hunker down behind the shield. Listen, don't think you're so much man or so much woman or, listen, teenagers, sometimes our pride is just as bad. Man, you get out there in your pride, you think, well, I can handle this. The devil's not going to get me, and I'm going to be okay. And you get in front of the shield, you're dead. Don't get in front of God. He is your shield. Stay behind him. Let him take care of you. Let him be your refuge. Let him be your shield. He desires to be that. The problem is, this morning, we don't trust him as that. The norm is, trouble comes, and we turn our back, and we run from God. Years ago, I, I preached at a men's retreat down in the middle of the woods, and they had this paintball tournament 
And because I'm an American man, I said, I want to get out there with you. I don't care if I'm the guest speaker. I want to shoot some of you people. And uh, some of them fell asleep while I was preaching, so they deserved it. And so I go out there, and man, we're out down by this river, and, you know, just playing commando stuff. You know, the guys do airsoft now. We, we did paintball back then. It was a little more manly. And so we're out there. We're shooting at each other, you know. They left bigger whelps. And all of a sudden, I'm starting to take fire. Some of those cowards couldn't take me out on their self, uh, by themselves, so they decided to tag team me, okay, and catch me in a crossfire. And so now they've got me pinned down, and I, I see this tree, and I run to hide behind this tree. And I get behind this tree, and I'm just I'm sitting there, and you, the bullets are just flying past you. And then all of a sudden, pow, one caught me in the back. Evidently, I was a little bigger than the tree. You know, abs and all. You know, me and Brother Lenny have the same problem. Our muscles just, you know, it's hard to conceal. Brother Lenny, I'm sorry for putting you in the same boat as me, Brother Lenny. You know, it's just hard to keep it all behind the tree, and bullets are flying everywhere, and and so I said, man, I'm going to break and run. And, man, I broke and run. I found this really big beech tree down there by the river, and it was bigger than I was. It could conceal all of my muscles. And, man, I just stood back there, and I waited until they wasted all their bullets because they were dumb teenage guys, you know. They're just going to keep shooting at the tree. I'm like, you're not going to shoot through the tree. But they kept trying. The tree blessed his heart, took all the bullets for me. After all their shooting was over, I marched out, and one by one, took my vengeance upon them, <laughs> marched them back, the walk of humiliation, back to the camp. These are the dummies who shot all their bullets, and now I'm marching them back. Can I tell you, it was so good. You know, it, was, it wasn't just good winning, okay? And that's what you're thinking. Of. It was so good to finally get behind something that could take all the bullets. It's all right. Look, only a dummy would run right into the gunfire without a shield. You know what that's called? It's called pride. Sometimes, can I tell you, the best thing you can do is just hunker down behind this shield and say, God, I'm, I'm going to let you, God, you said you're my shield. I'm going to let you take it. Can I tell you something? He can take it. He can take it. But oh, we wander away from our shield. That's when, that's when trouble happens. Psalms 46, God is our refuge and strength. Listen to this. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, <laughs> will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. You know what he says? When you're behind that shield, which is God, just be still, be still, be still. Be still. The battle may rage. Be still. Why? Because that's where you know that he is God. Number two, trust God to be the God of your refuge, not just the God of your salvation. Trust him to be the God of your refuge. You ever wonder how Job survived? I... I Boy, you read Job. I've read Job so many times, and you read through Job's story, and you just see a man who is broken. He says, the New Testament says, cast down but not destroyed. And then you see Job 42. He walks out alive. I, I'd love to preach out of it one day. A beautiful passage there. The Bible says, after this, live Job. Do you, do you know what's contained in the word this? The loss of those children, his property. His friends turned their back on him. Even his wife shunned him. The Bible says after all of that, he lived. It sounds like someone who found refuge behind a shield. Number two, 
God shouldn't just be the God of your salvation. He should be God of your situation. And he'll be the refuge for your trial. Finally, I'll give you this. Before we go today, you look down to the last part of verse 1. First, he tells him to fear not. He says, I'm the reassurance of your trust. Don't worry. Just trust me. Fear not. Trust me. He said, I'm the refuge for your trial. I'm the shield. But notice he didn't stop there. I, I love the fact that God is not limited in his godness. All right? I don't know if that's proper English, Miss Pam, or not, but I think you get the point, right? God is not limited in his godness. His sovereignty is not limited to a situation or a time. That God says, well, I will be, watch this, the reassurance for your trust, and I'll be the refuge for your trial, but that's as far as I'm going with you. No, watch what he says. At the end he says, and thy exceeding great reward. Do you know when a reward comes? A reward comes at the end. That's where a reward comes. God says, Abraham, watch. You've trusted me to be the God of your salvation. You've committed to me. You said no to Sodom. I'm going to be with you through your trial. I'm going to be your shield and your refuge. And let me show you how far I'm going to be with you, Abraham. I'm going to be with you to the very end because I'm going to be thy exceeding and great reward. Number three, you ought to trust God to be God because he's the reward for our toil. He is the reward for our toil. Here's what he's saying. You trusted me at the beginning. You can trust me in the middle. And you can trust me all the way to the end. Just trust God to be God. You say, well, I don't know how this is going to turn out, and I don't know how this is going to work, and I have a problem here. Look, you don't have to know it. Trust God to be God. He'll be the reassurance for your trust, the refuge for your trial, and you just keep trusting him, and he'll be the reward for your toil. He's going to be standing there at the end when you cross the finish line. Aren't you glad? I think about the Apostle Paul before he died. He says, henceforth has laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He knew there was a finish line that was worth being faithful to. And it wasn't the crown, it was the one who was giving the crown. It was Jesus. He says, there's a reward for our toil. You think about your job. Most of you will go to work tomorrow. Unless you're still out for holiday. If you are, thank God for that. I have people hit me up in the choir line about taking tomorrow off. Uh, we'll pray about it and I'll let you know on Tuesday about that. But you think about your job and your career, you're working, man, you're putting in your time, you're saving your money, you're taking all that for your 401k. What are you doing that for? What are you doing that for? You're doing that because of the end. It's the end that you want. You're working hard, you're putting extra time, you're working extra jobs, you're doing Uber Eats, you're doing all this stuff to make extra money because, man, you're really looking toward the end and you want to enjoy the end and so you're willing to toil right now. Do you know there's an end to this, to this life, to this toil? This is not an eternal thing that we're going to be about struggling with sin and struggling with the work that God's called us to, enduring temptation and struggling with the trials of this life. This is temporary. There's an end to this. That's what the Bible says. Be not weary in well-doing. Hey, stick with it. There's a reward for our toil. The Bible says we will reap if we faint not. Verse I love, Ecclesiastes 7.18, it's the verse I have told you many times I chose for my daughter. It is good that thou shouldest take hold of this. Yea, also from this withdraw not thine hand. For he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. And there's a reward for the toil. If we're just willing to trust God to be God. 
Quit playing God. That's what worry oftentimes is. We're just worried about things, trying to figure out what God already knows. And he's just waiting for us to trust him to be God. You say, well, it's just hard. Can I tell you the hardest thing is trusting him for salvation. That deals with your eternal soul. Don't tell me that some mild situation of difficulty in a temporal life overshadows the saving of your soul. No, if you can trust him to be God of your salvation, you can trust him to be God of your situation. Why? Number one, he says, I'll be the reassurance of your trust. Fear not, he says, trust me. Just trust me. Take a step of faith, trust me. He says, I'll be your shield. That's the refuge from your trial. And I'll be thy exceeding great reward. He says, I'll be the reward for your toil. In the end, you trust God to be God, you'll find he's the one that's standing there when we cross the finish line. And at that moment, it will be worth whatever toil you had to put in. We're so short-sighted that we see how difficult things are now and how things feel right now. And we want to quit. We want to give up on God. We want to abandon ship. I get it. I get it. I get it. Can I tell you, the reward is worth the toil. He says, Abraham, you need to grow into a more meaningful relationship with me and just trust me to be God. I'm thankful that God says, you handle these things and I'll handle these things. And oh, God can handle those things way better than I can, way better than you can. Why don't we just trust God to be God? Trust God to be God. Abraham, fear not. Abraham, fear not. Just trust me to be God. Can I ask you this morning, have you trusted God to be your God? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Do you know for sure that heaven's your home? Can I ask you, is there a question mark where there should be a period? The Bible says that you may know that you have eternal life. That's period. Period. You don't have to walk out of here with a question mark. You can know for sure that God is your God. Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Have you been born again? If not, you can before you leave here today. You say, well, I'm saved and I've trusted him, the God of my salvation. Wonderful. Have you trusted him to be God of your situation? If not, why don't you let God be God today? Amen. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand together. Our heads are bowed.